I'm excited as well to be here uh, for the chance to close out this series on Colossians. So no pressure, it's like 20 something weeks and I get to, get to close this out. Now it would look like, uh, it would seem like I have my work cut out for me. I don't know if you've had a look at the passage we're looking at this morning, but if you kind of uh, just turn there um, and glance at Colossians 4 from verse 7 onwards, uh, just kind of have a look there. What does that look like to you when you just scan your eyes over what's happening there? Yeah, it looks like the credits of a movie. You know, like the end of the movie and the, and the screen credit goes up, all the guys that did stuff, that's what this passage looks like. I don't know about you, when I go to movies, I, you know, I get really bored in the credit scenes. These days, Marvel guys make you wait through the credits because of stuff coming at the end, right? Who, who reads the credits? Nobody does. That's what this looks like. Um, but in fact, this end of Colossians is just the perfect way to end the way that Paul ends this. And, and that's not just because he has the Bible and every part of it is God speaking, but because there's just so much of a summary of the Christian life and ministry that I think ties in well today. In fact, the hard part of preaching the end of Colossians is not really the list of names. It's the fact that there's just so much to do. And so here's what I'm going to do this morning. Uh, we're just going to have a quick uh, bird's eye view of what's going on. I want to make two observations just from a bird's eye view of this end to the letter. And then I want to jump into uh, just one or two details in the story. So, so let's start. Let, let's have a read together. Uh, Colossians 4 and reading from verse 7 all the way to the end. Tychicus will tell you about all my activities. He is a beloved brother and faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord. I've sent him to you for this very purpose that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. And with him, Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother who is one of you. They will tell you of everything that has taken place here. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you. And Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, concerning whom you have received instructions, if he comes to you, welcome him. And Jesus, who is called Justice. These are the only men of the circumcision among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God. And they've been a great comfort to me. Epaphras, who is, um, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, greets you, always struggling on your behalf in his prayers, that you may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. For I bear him witness that he has worked hard for you and for those in Laodicea and in Hierapolis. Luke, the beloved physician greets you as does Demas. Give my greetings to the brothers at Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her house. And when this letter has been read among you, have it also read in the church of the Laodiceans and see that you also read the letter from Laodicea. And say to Archippus, see that you fulfill the ministry that you have received in the Lord. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand Remember my chains. Grace be with you. Here's why I think this is a really effective ending to the book of Colossians. Uh, for one reason, just kind of a general observation, is because it shows us what faithful gospel ministry looks like. And what it looks like from a bird's eye view as we close out this book, it looks like first that faithful gospel ministry is personal. 
Paul lists 10 names here. And in each of those kind of names that he lists, he uses many different words to convey his care and his affection for them. Did you pick up on that? Tychicus, my beloved brother. Onesimus, beloved brother. Luke, my beloved dear friend. So clearly for Paul, this was more than just a a job. But genuine love had been created in this Christian community. And I feel like we just need to pause there for a little bit and and reflect on that. Um, I know Riverside's got a great thing going here in terms of community. But these days in the church, um, Christianity has become big business somehow. Uh, You know, church has just been like TV and social media and big platforms and personalities and and a trend has led to churches kind of being very like, super over-programmed and results-focused and numbers-focused. And somewhere along the way, we forget about just simply loving people. And as we commend your leaders, I just got to tell you, they're not, they're, they're not like that. There's genuine love for people. I have another uh, pastor friend of mine uh, that, that I used to meet with quite a lot. Um, and I don't meet with him so much anymore. Here's why. When we meet together... Kind of the question is always, hey, how's your church doing? How's it growing? How many people are coming? Like, like that stuff. And then we want to talk about what's your views and all sorts of controversial theological things. And, and it just never comes up. Like, hey, how's your family? How's your, how's your wife and your kids? You know, I just feel like Paul would never do that. You know, if he was sitting across the table with you and, and, and he's just spent, you spend 20 weeks talking theology, right? But he wants to make sure, hey, that this is, this is personal. And these are his friends. And there is genuine concern for the people that he's working with and that he's writing to. So firstly, bird's eye view. You, you cannot miss that as you end this letter. A gospel ministry is firstly personal. But secondly, it's communal. What I mean by that is that the whole community is involved in ministry. See, up until this point, Paul's been, he's been like the main guy writing this letter, right? So he's writing it. He's this church planter that's planting churches kind of all over the Middle East. He's the apostle. He's the leader of the church. But at the end of this letter, Paul wants you to know, he wants to make sure you know that it was a team effort. But he just wants that to be clear by listing all these names and all the things that these guys have done. Now, most of these names are names that we've never heard before. And perhaps the reason we've never heard their names before is because their ministries and ministry responsibilities didn't seem um, really spectacular. But Paul wants us to know that this couldn't have happened without them. Let me give you an example of one of the guys. Sketch out one of the characters here. Uh, the first one mentioned in the list, Tychicus. Have you heard that name before? Like as a hero? Of the Bible? Not really. Like there's not many um, Sunday school posters of Tychicus. Not many movies being made. Not many people rushing to name their child Tychicus. Right, like we had a boy and we're like Benjamin, we're shotgunning, we're getting, like we're claiming, you know, not many people rushing to name their child Tychicus. And that's actually, is not the most obscure name on this list. His name comes up five times in the New Testament. The reason you never heard it is because what he did isn't particularly on the outside spectacular. Because it turns out Tychicus's job was delivering these letters. So kind of like he was the apostolic mailman. Which doesn't sound too glamorous, doesn't sound like much, does it? 
we'll just consider these few things. So Tychicus is the one carrying this letter that Paul wrote to the Colossians. The reason we're reading it today is because he did his job. Turns out in his back pocket, he wasn't only carrying Colossians, but he was carrying the letter to Philemon, and he was carrying the letter to Ephesians as well. So it says at the end, hey, swap letters, guys. We have those letters because Tychicus did his job. He carried the letters. Let me just tell you a little bit about the journey that he would have had to have taken. So he's from Rome. He's with Paul in Rome. And so he would have had to carry that letter from Rome to Colossae, which is, you know, kind of the, from Italy to Turkey. So just kind of think about what that means. That means he had to cross Italy on foot. That means he had to kind of sail the Adriatic Sea. Then he had to cross Greek. Then he had to cross the Aegean Sea. And then he would have landed somewhere in the like. Lystra Valley uh, and had to go all the way upriver uh, and eventually find his way to Laodicea and Colossae. But that was a pretty long and pretty dangerous journey and Tychicus did his job and we have the letter because he did his job. But wait, there's more. In, in Titus 3 and 2 Timothy 4, as Paul is writing to these obvious heroes, Titus, Timothy, we know those guys. We know my kids after them. But he writes to them and he says that Tychicus is coming to you to relieve you from your post so that you can come to me. Right, so Paul needed some time with Titus. He needed some time with Timothy. Uh, we know he needed some time with Timothy because he forgot his jacket. He's like, hey, Timothy, please bring my jacket. So I'm glad you forget stuff as well. And so Tychicus was going to be the one to relieve Timothy and Titus so that they could journey to be with Paul. Which means that, that Tychicus was more than just a mailman, right? So in fact, Paul says, hey, Tychicus will tell you everything about us. So there's things he's going to teach you that aren't in this letter. So he was a very capable speaker and teacher. And Paul sends him to pastor churches while their pastors are away. In other words, Tychicus could have been a church planner. He could have been a pastor, but his job was to deliver letters. And he did that. Because there's nothing small that's ministry. There's nothing small that's ministry. And Tychicus knew that and with a faithful servant heart, completed the ministry that he did. You might not think it's spectacular, but just listen to how Paul describes him. Verse seven, he is a beloved brother and faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord. Man, I'd want that on my tombstone, wouldn't you? Like, does it get better than that, actually? He's a beloved brother. We love him. We love this guy. He was faithful, and he was a servant. Like, he sacrificed and gave for the ministry. Do you think Paul would have had something different on his tombstone? Beloved brother, faithful minister, fellow servant, and super apostle who led the church, do you think? No, I don't think so. I, I don't think Paul would have wanted anything else than beloved brother, faithful minister, fellow servant. Do you think that God looks on Paul and sees him any differently to beloved brother, faithful minister, fellow servant? I don't think so. I think that's about as good as it gets. But if this is what you are known for as a beloved brother, faithful minister, fellow servant, if we had time, I'd love to go into detail of some of these other, what I'm calling today, ordinary heroes. This kind of team effort, you know, this closing passage, kind of Paul's group photo. He's like, hey, here's, 
he has a team that made this happen. And just some of these guys, I mean, Aristarchus, he's, all he was is he was just a companion. He was just a friend to Paul. He just hung out with him. Oh, and also he volunteered to go to prison with Paul. So Paul's writing. Aristarchus shouldn't have been in prison. He's like, hey, are you going to prison? I'll, I'll go to prison with you. Why not? That'll be fun. He was so loyal, such a loyal friend to Paul. And he gets a mention at the end of this letter. A nympha, who is a, a widow. Uh, we believe she's, she's a widow, an elderly widow. And the church met in her house and she gets a mention. The point is this, you, you cannot miss, this is the bird's eye view, just general observation. Faithful gospel ministry is intensely personal. You can't miss that from the end, it's important. And it's also intensely a communal endeavor. You know, in a way, on, on an appreciation service, I mean, we couldn't do this. We should get everybody on stage, right? People doing so many things. But not all the names in this list come with really such perfect resumes attached. And that's where I want to just get down into the detail of just one of these names. In fact, three of the names have a bit of a story to them. Onesimus, there's a story there. Mark, there's a story there. And then there's a story behind the name Demas. He gets just a tiny mention, Demas is with me too, and Demas sends his greeting. And that sounds fine, hey? Demas is with me, he sends his greeting, good. Demas also gets a mention in Philemon, so that's, uh, Tychicus is carrying that same letter, and Demas is with Paul, and Paul mentions Demas as well, so he seems like he's a faithful companion of Paul. Well, it is at the moment, but it wasn't going to stay that way. If you read 2 Timothy, which you believe was Paul's last letter that he ever wrote. So this is the end, which is written three years after Colossians. Three years later, Demas' name comes up again and says this, 2 Timothy 4 verse 9, do your best to come to me, saying, Timothy, come to me soon, for Demas, in love with the present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica which means that Demas started well, but he certainly didn't end well. Sounds like he wasn't even really a believer anymore. And really the warning here, because it is, it's a warning, is that in Christianity, it doesn't really matter as much how you start. What really matters is how you end. And the reason that's important is because at the start of Christianity, at the beginning of this journey, I mean, everything's exciting. I want to say that it's kind of easy to start as a Christian. And and I don't want to like minimize what it takes for the Holy Spirit of God to come into someone's life who's not a believer and, and show them who Jesus is and our own sinfulness and point us to that and the wrestling that takes place. I don't want to minimize that. That part's difficult. But then you become a Christian and everything seems so exciting, doesn't it? Maybe you've been a Christian, maybe you've been a Christian for a long time, but I'm like so stirred up coming here because there's so many people around that were part of my journey in the very beginning. It's so, so exciting when you start. You're so passionate and enthusiastic and the beginning of the Christian journey It's kind of easy. It's much harder to end well. And to be sure, the the warning isn't that that many people will end catastrophically like Demas. It's not like you end well or you end super badly like Demas. Just some people limp across the line. But they don't finish strong. Which seems to be an emphasis of Paul. 
So in 2 Timothy, just two verses before the Demas verse, he says this, so you can tell, this is on his mind. Verse six to eight, for I'm already being poured out as a drink offering. The time of my departure has come, I'm about to die. I've fought the good fight, I've finished the race, I've kept the faith. Henceforth is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but to all those who have loved his appearing. You can see that's on his mind, this issue of Demas has deserted me and gone off the way. He started well, but it certainly didn't end well. And so I wanted to say, you know, to the, to the older among us, we focus on finishing strong, finishing well. But, but to the younger, uh, especially a lot of young people in this church, it's so beautiful. But, you know, by God's grace, you've got many, many years ahead of you and to be sure, it's your intention to finish well. But Demas thought he would finish well. I'm sure about that. Demas didn't sign up to Paul's team intending to quit. Had every intention of finishing well, but ended up not. And I think just in general, in life, I want to say that, that starting is always the easy part. The hard part is finishing, and the hard part's in the middle as well. Just think about it. New Year's resolutions. Yeah, you're so pumped up. I'm going to eat well. I'm going to run 10Ks every day. You do that on day one, and then you're like, you know. Or that, that project that you want to do at home. I don't know. It sounds like this leadership team are like good at cooking and all sorts of stuff. Um, me, when it comes to like, so I don't like cooking. I like eating. Uh, and when it comes to projects, I'm like, yeah, I'm going to do this project, you know, and then I can't find the tools and then it's like, give up, you know. It's, it's easy to generate enthusiasm at the beginning. It's much harder to sustain that and finish well. And in the Christian life, this happens in, in, in the middle bits. I'm not just talking the catastrophic ends here, but the millions of things in the middle in the Christian life where, where you really felt a prompting to commit to really reading the Bible a lot more or, or you really like know that it's time to deal with that sin, and, sin habit in your life. Or you're really like pumped up today maybe and you want to serve somehow in the church. Those are all easy to start things. To get fired up about reading the Bible, to get fired up about praying. Anyone started fasting? It's so great. You feel so spiritual. You're like pumped up from like the first five minutes. You're like, hey. And an hour later, you're dying, right? Like it's just so hard to finish. Like even at, at, at day five, it's really, really, it's really easy at the beginning. And in our battles against our sin and our addictions, and all the things you've been learning, I want to say it's easy to start. And again, I don't want to minimize that when we land in that place so broken and we realize I'm such a mess, like that's hard, I know that. But to step away from that and go, that's it, I'm done. That was the last time. How many times have we been there? And then it happens again, right? So, so the start, the intentions, it's always a lot easier than sustaining that. Most of you will have heard, uh, most of you this morning will have heard, know the famous story of Peter walking on water. We'll know that, right? I'm, I'm not even going to go into the detail there, except that Peter got out the boat and walked towards Jesus on the water, which is amazing. 
Uh, but it was kind of windy and there was waves and, you know, he saw the wind and the waves and then, he, and then he started to drown. And Jesus says to Peter, oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? I've heard the story a million times, but only this last week I'm just telling you. I realized, hang on, that's a bit harsh, isn't it? It's like, like Peter, I mean, firstly, he said to Jesus, hey, if it's you, ask me and I'll come on the water. That's kind of a bold question. It, it took a lot to get out of the boat. I mean, I mean, for real, I know we think about this, like that's amazing that he would have the faith to that. I wouldn't even ask and be like, hey, no, you're over there. Hey, come to us. But he's, he steps out. I'm thinking, okay, so he, he had faith. So what is Jesus saying? Well, what I've learned is that Jesus wasn't referring to the intensity of Peter's faith, but the duration of it. Peter, I mean, he had a good, he had a strong faith game. At bold moments in his life. His problem in the beginning was sustaining it. He's chopped off the guy's ear, came to arrest Jesus, but then he's running away. And it's kind of a picture of the Christian life often is it's, it's so easy to get hyped up to have a strong faith game in moments, but sustaining it's what really matters. And to be honest, that's, that's part of why we come to church every single Sunday because we walk out of here with a strong faith game. But we realize during the week, hey, we, we need to come back and center ourselves around God in worship, right? Because we know that sustaining faith is, we know deep down that that's something that's incredibly necessary. And the reason I wanted to dwell here just a little bit today, I don't, I don't know, but it just, it's come to my attention. There's a lot of high profile uh, Christians who've renounced their faith recently. Like one of them who we were so into back, remember, I'm not gonna mention his name, but uh, you know, and renou publicly renouncing their faith. As I feel like it's so important today, I mean, just one of the most profound messages Christians keep needing hearing, keep needing to hear is persevere, persevere. We, we, we love the faith injection moments and those are amazing. But honestly, most of the game is lived in the middle. Like, like Christians really are, you know, we're not one day players, we're not T20 players, we're test players. We're not sprinters, we're ultra marathon runners. You know, that's what really matters. It's the perseverance. And today that's just a lot harder. We sang a song earlier. I'd never heard it before, but it seemed really cool. Something about singing louder amidst the unbelief. Would you agree with me? There's a lot of unbelief around. Absolutely. Families, workplaces, communities. Now listen, would you also agree with me that where there's unbelief, there's evil? Of course there is. Evil exists because of unbelief. And so we're surrounded by unbelief and surrounded by evil. People in my family have been affected by evil just this past week. It's kind of like it's just around us. It shouldn't really be a surprise that we're surrounded by evil because we're surrounded by unbelief. And even more so, songs like that and, and, and affirmations like this, hey, we've got to keep going amidst the unbelief, amidst the evil, the great need for Christians to persevere. Amen? So there is a, an opposite kind of good story here. And that's in another name, and that's Mark. So Mark is a person. Okay, so Mark's the guy who wrote Mark. 
So that's super important. Uh, we believe that, that Matthew and Luke based their letter on Mark's letter as well. And it seemed to have this massive ministry in Rome because Peter refers to Mark as well. Mark's one of the big guys. But he didn't start well. You know that story. He was invited on a missionary journey by his cousin Barnabas with Paul. Barnabas is doing missions with Paul. Barnabas says, hey, I've got a cousin. He's really great, man. We just need to bring him along. And Mark starts out on this missionary journey with, uh, with Paul and with Barnabas. They start well, they go through Cyprus, Asia. Then they hit a place called Pamphylia, which is very mountainous and therefore very susceptible to robbers and to sickness. And in Acts 15, we read that Mark's just like, I'm out. He taps out, he goes home. He abandons them. And we, and we don't know why, but we know that that was a, just a tough part of the journey. We know that Mark lived at home with a, a wealthy mom and it just seems like it just got too hard for him. That's what it seems like. Just couldn't handle it. And on another missionary journey, Barnabas is like, hey, Paul, let's give Mark another chance. And Paul wants nothing to do with Mark. And it leads to Paul and Barnabas having a massive fight. And they split, they go separate ways. That happens in the church sometimes. But now you read at the end of Colossians, Paul affirming Mark, saying, hey, Mark's coming to you. Welcome him. Because they would have heard maybe about the Cunninghans. <laughs> Hey, welcome him. And in fact, Paul says of Mark, he's one of only three Jewish men that have stuck by me. Mark, the one who used to be a deserter when the going went rough. Now when other people are deserting, Paul, Mark's like, I'm here, man. The story of someone who perhaps didn't start that great, but certainly finished well. Because that's really what matters. What matters is now. What matters is persevering through the middle to the end. And that leads us to the last guy I want to mention. Or maybe second last. But Archippus serves as our conclusion. It's just, it's genius how this letter ends. Because it's been these 10 names, these ordinary heroes that we know, hey, it's a team effort and hey, it's personal and then the very last name on the list, look at verse 17 again, and say to Archippus, see that you fulfill the ministry that you have received in the Lord. See what Paul's doing here? He's basically saying to Archippus and to all of us, he's saying, hey, Tychicus, he did it. Onesimus, he did it. Aristarchus did it. Epaphras did it. Justice did it. Luke did it. Demas didn't do it. But how about you, Archippus? Will you complete the ministry that the Lord has given to you? Will you complete it faithfully to this? It's an open-ended question. It's supposed to be like that because it's our question. Will you be faithful and persevere to the very end? I know that sounds, sounds a little hard, right? But here's the beauty. And I want to just mention one more name as we head to time of communion. Onesimus. It's a fascinating story. There. You can just read the letter to Philemon. It's like one page. The story of Onesimus is the story of a, of a worker for Philemon. I mean, technically a slave, but in those times it wasn't the abusive, um, ethnically based, um, you know, we had no, 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 no choice in it, kind of. He was a servant in Philemon's household. He had volunteered for that. And then he had run away to Rome. 
And so legally, Philemon could have put Onesimus in jail. But in Rome, Onesimus bumps into Paul, which is crazy. And Paul says he, he become like a father to Onesimus. So he becomes a believer, Onesimus. And in the letter to Philemon, Paul says to, to Philemon, hey, I'm sending Onesimus back to you. I could use him here in Rome. He's really useful, but I feel like he belongs back with you. And he's urging Philemon to not punish him. And in fact, Paul says, hey, anything he owes to you, I'll pay it. See how much he loves Onesimus. But in this letter, see what he says. He says to Onesimus, to the, the Colossians, Onesimus is one of you now. He was a lawbreaker. He deserves punishment, but he's become a believer through the gospel of Jesus Christ. He's been reconciled to God. He's your brother. He's one of you. That's what the gospel does. It, it forgives people. It reconciles them to God, but therefore to each other as well. You know how beautiful the story is. This isn't in the Bible, but an early church father, Ignatius, who we rely a lot on for like what happened after the Bible, he indicates that Onesimus became the pastor at Colossae. Isn't that amazing? Only the gospel can do that. For anybody sitting here this morning, it feels like I'm in an unfaithful middle. I've started well, but it hasn't happened. And the story of Mark will hopefully encourage you. It doesn't matter wherever you are. This idea of bumping into Paul and finding the gospel of Jesus Christ and reconciliation and this chance to be included is for you as well. And so with that, I want to invite us to spend some time um, participating in communion. So I think as always, the communion tables kind of scattered around the hall. I want to invite you to partake whenever you're ready. Just kind of come up. It's just so beautiful that we do this together because it's a communal thing. It's also deeply personal. So come up and then we'll close at the end. The very last words of this letter says, it ends kind of as thoughts, but it ends with grace be with you. And may God's grace be with us for those who are starting. God's grace be with us for those most of us in the middle. And God's grace especially bring us home strong and faithful to the end, amen. Father, we trust in your grace, your mercy. Your grace that gives us a start on this most beautiful journey. The grace that gives us the hope of a future, an eternal future, but a future on this earth living in your kingdom your sons and daughters. And it's your grace that sustains us through the difficult middle bits where evil or unbelief surrounds or when we're struggling or when we're just plain bored maybe. Your grace sustains us through the middle and it's your grace that brings us home. And we trust in you. We trust in your grace and your great love for us. Amen.